During this season of Lent, we're doing a little bit different kind of a prayer, starting called a, a prayer of confession. And so today uh, we're just going to read a piece of scripture from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And so this is actually from the, uh, the message version. It says, you're not taking God seriously, said Jesus. The simple truth is that if you had a, a mere kernel of faith, a poppy seed, say, you would tell this mountain, move, and it would move. And what Jesus is getting at is kind of the, the underlying problem that the, the next two steps of, of the 12 steps seek to remedy. And so the next two steps are uh, that we came to believe that, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three is that we made a decision to turn our, our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So let's, let's take those into a, a time of prayer. Oh God, God, we invite you to come and speak to us today. Speak into our hearts. Show us the ways in, in which we have not lived into the faith that we claim to have. Because God, you, you have made us and you have created us for, for such wonderful things. You have created, created us to, to be people who bear your image, who, who mirror the face of Christ to a broken world. And yet we find ourselves struggling with the very thing that you have asked us to go and tell the world about. So God, would you come and meet with us today? Would you show us how to have real, authentic faith that changes lives, that changes this world? God, move us to be better bearers of your image, to be better representatives of, of who you are and what you are about in this world. We confess that, that every week, every, every day, sometimes every single hour, we struggle to have faith. But we know that through the power of your spirit working in us, our faith can do incredible, wonderful, and amazing things. And so God, would you move in our hearts today? Show us how to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, uh, we talked about a problem. You remember, Jason said that we were ungodly. It's kind of rude, <laughs> but you know it's good. We gotta talk about we gotta talk about the problem, right? And then because the problem is is that actually you know like we talked about last week, the the first step to this whole recovery deal it, it's we admitted that we are powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. Most importantly, this is also rude. 
Jason taught us that our problem is us, right? But as rude as it sounds, it's true. We all, we all have problems, right? And maybe you're like Jay-Z and you got 99 of them, right? <laughs> but the truth is that, and even Jay-Z with all of the money and fame that he has cannot avoid this simple fact. All 99 of those problems are you. Well, you're not Jay-Z's problem. Jay-Z is Jay-Z's problem. You're your own problem. So just worry about yourself. So just kind of a a recap of of how the Apostle Paul talked about this human situation. Uh, we, We shared this scripture last week. He said, I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. And I know that that sounds terrible. It is, but that's why, that's why Christianity and and that's why recovery, like they're not things that are for the faint of heart. They're for people who are ready to get honest, like really, really honest, honest with themselves about what's really going on. And I say all of this because, because Christianity and recovery, which really just boil down to the way to become the most authentic version of who God created you to be. It's all about searching for finding and staying in the solution to the problem. And you can thank me for this. Cause this isn't like algebra where I give you the solution and like leave you to your own devices to figure out what the problem is. Like the problem is, is obvious. It's there. We've told you what it is. The problem is you. Right? The problem is, is, is not your spouse. The problem is not your kids. The problem is not your neighbors who you swear have a skunk living in their backyard, if you know what I mean. Right? The journey is about you. We're dealing with me. And so I want to I wanna say kind of like an affirmation of 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 kind of faith in this situation. And so it's really easy. You can say it with me and you can say this all day, every day, and it'll be a good reminder. I am the problem. Ready? Say it with me. I am the problem. Wow, man, look how honest you all are. (laughs) That wasn't so bad. (laughs) Now, each of you knows what the problem is. That's so good because when we know what the problem is, then we can Try and find out the solution. So what, what is the solution? Well, it's really all the rest of the steps, you know? Specifically, it starts with, with the next two, which we're, we're talking about today. And so, so like we've already read them, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you. Step two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three, which follows close on its heels, says that we turned our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Sounds easy, right? Here you are. You're in church. We're off to a pretty good start. Believe in God. Trust in God. Okay, cool. Bye. See ya. 
Not really, right? <laughs> because this is the kind of message that, like, if you grew up in the church, this has been drilled into your mind. And it honestly has probably created more of your problems than it has solved. Because, yes, we're supposed to believe in God. And, yes, we're supposed to trust in Jesus. But we need to kind of look at these ideas a little bit deeper. Because what we're probably going to find that these words, they don't always mean what we think they mean. Or at least they don't always mean what we, we want them to mean. And so let's just kind of dive in. You know, steps two and, and three are pretty much two sides uh, of the same coin. They can be pretty much boiled down to this. If, if step one really means like, I can't, right? I can't solve the problem. Steps two and three are God can. So I'll let him. It's pretty simple. God is the solution to our problem. And that's probably not blowing your mind right now because you're in church. And that's kind of what we talk about. Like every single week is God being the solution to our problems. And the apostle Paul certainly followed this, this type of thinking. You might remember all of that talk from last week where Paul is pretty much just like weeping on paper over how he desires to do good, but he, he can't seem to do it no matter what. He does what he doesn't want to do. And so he goes on a little bit farther in that same chapter. And, and he says this, he says, so, so I find, you know, as a rule that when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but, but I see a different law at work in my body. It wages a war against the law of my mind and it takes me prisoner with the law of sin that is in my body. I'm a miserable human being and honesty who will deliver me from this dead corpse. Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I mean, in the midst of some of those really powerful things, there's a lot of talk of law, right? And so, so what Paul means when he says law is not like some kind of legislation handed down by the Roman government. He's not really necessarily talking about the Jewish law even. He's using a pretty common word that, that simply means a, a generally accepted way of living. And so this law of God that he's talking about, it, it really is, is, is God's ethical way of living. It's, it's how God wants us to live so that God gets what God wants. And therefore, like the law of the flesh or the law of sin is really how I want to live to ensure that I get what I want when I want it, regardless of the consequences. See, one is, is great. One is well, it's not great. It's, it's the source of our problems. So check out Paul's solution. Who can solve the problem? God, through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is kind of like really nailed down for us and for himself what, what's going on. Step two says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. To be restored to sanity, we first got to face the fact that our problems have made us insane. 
And this language is not meant to like speak lightly of the mental health crisis in our world. It simply means that, that we are stuck in a cycle of destruction and nonsense. Paul's way of expressing this was, I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate. You know, another like really smart guy uh, put it this way. This guy's name was uh, Albert Einstein. Kind of, kind of smart. He said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I have a friend named John who thinks he's pretty smart too. And every time that he quotes Albert Einstein on this, he says, don't confuse this with doing the same thing over and over, knowing that you'll get the same results. That's just being stupid. <laughs> but either way, these smart people, Paul, Einstein, my friend John, uh, we see the cycle, right? And the way out of that cycle begins with believing that we're stuck in the cycle and that no human power can pull us out of it. But God can. God can and will restore us to sanity if, and that's a really big if, we do what comes next. See, step two is something that happens up here, right? In our, in our minds and it moves into our heart and, and something clicks inside of us. But that doesn't release us from the mess. It doesn't say God restored us to sanity. It just says that we came to believe that it could happen. Step three is where the magic begins to happen. Step three requires action. It says that we made a decision. Did you know that decisions are actions? And a, a decision to what? A decision to turn our will. You can also think of that as our thoughts. And our lives, or our actions, over to the care of God. This is like the practical stuff. This is kind of the meat of it all. It says, look, God, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a mess. You can get me out of it. So I, I surrender. Like I submit my, my thoughts and my actions over to you. Please just help me out. So I want to kind of show you what this looked like for, for one guy in the Bible about like 1,500 years or so before Paul was walking around uh, talking about the things that he was talking about. There was a guy named Moses. And Moses, uh, if you know the story, he, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And, and for a generation, he led them through the wilderness and kind of like right up to the edge of the promised land, this land that God had, had promised to Israel's ancestors, like you will possess this. I will give it to you. All they had to do was cross this river. And when they got there, Moses stood up and he preached this like ridiculously long and powerful sermon. That's we know as the book of Deuteronomy and the people are like pumped up, right? They're like, yes, like Let's do this thing. Like, thanks for the reminder of all the stuff we need to do. Let's go. Let's kick the Canaanites out and let's take the land. And Moses is like, uh, hold that thought. And he goes and dies. 
<laughs> and everyone's like, what? <laughs> Come on, man. But just before he dies, he hands over uh, leadership of Israel to, to a young guy named Joshua. And now it's Joshua's job to lead this band of wandering nomads into the promised land, which is going to prove uh, to be like really uh, difficult because uh, first of all, these people like they're not easy to lead. Like they don't listen, right? They don't listen to God unless it's convenient. They don't listen to their leader unless things are going well. They're going to encounter hostile people when they get into this land. They're, they're going to come into contact with other ways of life that are like directly in, in contradiction to the things that God and Moses have just told them, like how they're going to live. And so Joshua, I don't know, it doesn't say that he had an existential crisis, but like, I'm just, you know, reading something into the text here as a human being like Joshua has got to be like, how am I supposed to do this? These people are terrible. But God comes to Joshua. He tells him like, Hey, the time is now it's time to go. We're going to cross the Jordan river and I'm giving you the land. And then he essentially says like, this is the strategy. This is how you're going to go into battle. This is how you're going to have success. And so this is what he says. This is all you got to do. Easy. Be brave and strong as you carefully obey all of the instruction that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't deviate even a bit from it, either to the right or to the left. Then you will have success wherever you go. So he never stops speaking about this instruction scroll. Recite it day and night so you can carefully obey everything written in it. Then you will accomplish your objectives and you will succeed. See, I've commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's like, it's easy. Here's the, here's the war plan, the battle strategy. Follow the law. Cool. <laughs> Follow my instructions. Follow my ethical ways of living and being. The, the things that Moses taught in that really big sermon that he just gave you a little while ago. Keep it on your lips constantly. The, the Hebrew says meditate on it or murmur it unceasingly. It says, do what I told you. Live how I told you to live in every situation. And you promise, I promise, you will have success. And this message that Joshua receives, it, it's the, the marriage of, of faith and action. God is saying like, hey, when you don't understand, be brave. Do what I've told you to do. It's going to work out. I'm with you. And this is, this is really what step three is actually about. It's about submitting our desires and our behavior over to some higher authority. It's about trusting that, that they know what's better for us, even when it doesn't seem logical. You know, one of the, the, the greatest roadblocks for so many Christians to, to this very principle is that we think we do it already. We remember saying like, yes, I believe in Jesus. And maybe we even remember uh, standing in front of the church and taking membership vows and saying that we put our whole trust in God's grace. 
And we think that like we've already gone past this. We think that we've, we've already made this happen. Like we're good to go. But this is the thing that honestly, it, it, it holds us back. So if you don't know this about me, uh, the, the 12 steps of recovery are how I live my life. Recovery is my life. Like I've been going to, to recovery programs, to anonymous rooms for, for 19 years, 19 years. In fact, this coming Friday, like God willing, I'll celebrate nine years of continuous sobriety. And like, that's yeah, whatever. That's really great. God should be praised for that. But like, do some math. 10 years, <laughs> 10 years of not getting it. 10 years knowing that you have a problem, but not being able to grasp the solution. It's the worst kind of desperation there is to sit on a bar stool or sit in your car outside of the liquor store, waiting for it to open. Knowing like, dude, this is bad. This is, this is a problem. But not being able to do anything about it. Going to bed each night and just like crying out, praying, God, like, God, help me. Like, help me not do this tomorrow. And then waking up in the morning and promising like, God, I know I said that last night, but today, listen, I'm just going to drink enough to feel good enough to stop drinking. It's insane. Made sense. I don't know. It's awful. 10 years of knowing, but being powerless to do anything about it. And sure, like, you know, I put like a little bit of time together here and there. And every time I would try and solve the problem with like other problems. You ever do this? <laughs> Just start spending money, right? Start working too much. Get into like a toxic relationship because that always helps. I never understood steps two and three, but the funny thing is like, I thought that I did. It never dawned on me. And so one day I was sitting in a therapist's office and he's like an old hippie dude, like really cool, which I come to find out much later on that he doesn't even believe in God. Right. And I was, I was sober for like 30 days or so. And, and so we were just talking and he asked me like, Hey, what, what step are you on? And I was like, well, my sponsor, who's like a person that helps you get through the steps. I said, my sponsor, he's got me working on uh, step two. And it's kind of like just a waste of time. It's like, why is it a waste of time? I was like, well, I've, I've always believed in God. Like, I never stopped believing in God. And you know what, what this man said to me? He said, how's that working out for you? <laughs> The offense, right? Like, like the knife in the heart. How dare you, sir, tell me the truth? <laughs> it wasn't saying like, hey, you shouldn't believe in God because that's not helping you out. He's not saying that was the problem. He was actually saying quite the opposite. He was telling me that like, hey, the way that, the, that your belief in God is being practically lived out in your life is not really causing any kind of personal transformation. He said something to the effect that like, if my belief was all in my head and, and something that I, I, and not something that I practically did with my hands, then it, it was useless. 
If I didn't make a change here in this aspect of my life, then I was just going to continue to get the same thing that I had always gotten in return. I was never going to be restored to sanity. I think that we see this for Joshua because look, I mean, Joshua believed in God. Joshua had heard the stories. He had, he had literally followed God through the wilderness, appearing as a, as a pillar of fire and, and a cloud. But to follow that into the unknown, that's going to require quite a bit more than simply believing that the God of Israel was there. So my, my story went on and, and with a better attitude after I got done being pretty salty about the way this man had assaulted me with his words. Um, <laughs> I went on and, and I, I, I finished the, the work of step two. And, and then I finished the writing uh, some work on, on step three. And, and so one Friday night, I would, I would always meet with uh, my, my sponsor uh, at Starbucks around the Tampa Bay area. And, and so one, one Friday night, we're uh, sitting in this, this very, very busy Starbucks. And, and my sponsor, his name was Jake. Uh, we, we completed kind of discussing what we were discussing about uh, this, this third step. And he said, okay, so now we're going to pray. I'm like, all right, that, that makes sense, you know. So I kind of like clasped my hands and, and bowed my head. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh praying, right? He's like, not like that, like on our knees. And like, I looked around and like, this place was packed, right? Not only that, but we were sitting at the table that was the closest to the place where you like, you pick up your order, right? So there's like a bunch of people standing around and there's the lines out the door. And I'm just like, dude, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. This is, this is ridiculous. Like there's, this is my worst nightmare, right? I don't want to do this at all. But I, I didn't feel like arguing with this guy. And um, so we got out of our chairs and we knelt on the floor. And then he grabbed my hands. And he, we prayed. Well, he prayed out loud. And I died inside, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't know anything that he said. All I know is that all I was thinking about was like, these people are like, people are staring at us. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, what are they thinking? Like, how crazy is this? And now, like, now that I look back on it, man, if I like walked into a Starbucks and, and I, I look over and like, you know, there's a, a, a white guy and a black guy holding hands, praying. I'd be like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And I would cry. Right. But in that moment, I could not think of anything other than me and the way that I felt and the way that people were concerned with me because I'm a very important person, you know. So finally, like mercifully, he says, amen. And we stood up and we sat back down. He was like, oh, hey, man, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel like punching you. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Why did you do that to me? <clears throat> and he laughed, you know. And so well, why'd you do it then? And I said, oh, because you told me to. And his response was, congratulations, you figured out the third step. So God's instructions to Joshua were, were, listen, just be brave enough to follow in my ways. Essentially like, hey, Josh, just do what I told you to do. 
That's really the secret to fulfilling the requirements here. Recognizing that like, dude, my thinking keeps perpetuating the problems in my life. So I've got to start thinking with somebody else's brain. So look at Paul's last little statement here. He says, I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I'm a slave to God's law in my mind, but I'm a slave to sin's law in my body. Essentially, he's saying like, I, I know and I, I serve God in my mind, even if my body is still prone to wanting to do the wrong thing. This is really a, a decision to allow God to, to take the wheel, right? To take control, to, to keep saying yes to the things that are good for, the, for us, even when they're like super uncomfortable. It's really just simply a decision to, to follow Jesus. And you know, Jesus was a man who came and he walked around and I'm going to tell you what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say like, Hey everyone, believe in me and it'll be all right. He didn't say that one time. Jesus was a man who said, follow me. In fact, he said, if any of you wants to be my disciples, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. This is the way to restoration. The way that we break out of the cycle of our own problems. We need to allow someone else to direct our paths. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking that created them. We can't problem our way out of a problem, right? We've got to invite the voice of God into our lives and then take positive action to get out of our own way and follow in the way of Jesus. You know, the most important thing about this is that we just can't do it on our own. Like we need people, trustworthy people who have our best interests at the heart of their intentions to lead us and guide us as we seek to follow Jesus together. So last week, Jason told you that it's his job to tell you that you've got a problem. Well, it's also his job and probably my job too, I guess, to tell you the solution and help you find it, right? And it's your job to actually listen and do it, right? To say yes and to follow. And uh, this is a practice that we wish our toddlers and our children would put, in, would put into their lives, but we magically forget as we become adults. This is a practice that will guide us well for, for the rest of our lives. It's a practice that will, will get you outside of yourself and into the heart and the life of Jesus in the world. It's a practice that will make you an authentic human being and a vibrant follower of Jesus. If you'll just simply stop being selfish, deny yourself and follow him. And so this week, your task is just, it's easy, but it's really hard. Say yes to something that you've been putting off. What's the advice that you've been given that you decided was just like, 
a suggestion and not a command, right? It's just too uncomfortable to take. What, what message have you been hearing on Sunday mornings that you just haven't been quite willing to put into practice yet? How has like that, that still soft voice of God been speaking to you? I, I just challenge you to say yes to that this week. Because imagine, imagine your life set free from the, the patterns the cycles of negativity and pain that you've been stuck in. Imagine chains falling off all for the price of a three letter word. Yes. Yes. I believe. Yes. I will follow. Yes. I will do what I'm told. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you walked among us, that you, that you taught us how to live. You didn't just speak words, but you lived in a way that we can mimic and mirror in our own lives. God, help us to make sure that that wasn't all in vain. That it wasn't wasted effort on your part. Show us how to, how to live into our faith. How to become the, the, the people that you have called us to be, the, the church, the, the best last hope for this world. Because for too long, God, we've been armchair believers. Stuck in the same mess that you came to pull us out of. So God, help us to reach out our hand to take yours and to walk side by side with you. Restore us, O oh Lord. Make us brand new. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.